0: I'm Stephen Pesavento, and welcome to the Name Your Number podcast presented by The Investor Mindset. As someone who comes from a challenging childhood, I've spent my life seeking financial security, personal growth, and ultimately freedom. The freedom to not wake up worried about the next paycheck, but rather with the confidence of knowing that my passive income pays my bills without the need to think about it. When you name your number that you'll learn passively, that creates your ultimate quality of life, then I believe you've achieved real freedom. Welcome to my show. It's time to name your number. I end up making more money doing that than if I was gonna go try to buy a single family home in Denver and try to do some kind of you know, burr or flip or something else on it. And when I look at the amount of time that I'm putting in, it's so much less. Now, of course, I run a private equity firm and we do this and we have a great team that does this every day. But when I compare apples to apples, it's really not even comparable. Welcome back to the Name Your Number show presented by The Investor Mindset. We're on a mission to create financial freedom for over a million investors. And when you name your number, the number that you want to earn passively every month that creates your ultimate quality of life, then I believe you've achieved real freedom. Now, let's get into the show. Today, I'm excited to have Amanda Hahn in the studio. How are you doing today, Amanda?
1: I'm doing good, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to get into it with you. You're a twice published author through Bigger Pockets, talking about tax, your phenomenal CPA. You happen to be a third generation real estate investor, and uh, you know you have both seen it growing up, you've gone the other path, and then you've jumped back into real estate investing yourself. So interested to kind of hear a little bit about your path towards financial freedom. And we're going to get into some of the great tips and strategies that listeners can use when it comes to saving on their taxes and really maximizing that path towards financial freedom. So before we get into all of that, I want to start off on a personal note by looking back at earlier in your life, What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? And how has that played a role on your money or investing journey?
1: Oh, interesting. looks like you've done a little research on me. About uh, me being a third generation of real estate investors, I think, um, uh, you know, growing up by around my parents and my my grandparents were entrepreneurs who also invested a lot in real estate, and then my parents did as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that has shaped me tremendously. Um, you know, I, I although I was taught to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and and what job is more. Steady than being an accountant, right? It's <laughs> like a pretty good job security. So but even though I um that was kind of the path I was led down, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think it comes from growing up in a family of entrepreneurs and just kind of always looking at ways to um to build a business. Um on the real estate side, it's really interesting because I grew up um actually in the condo complex that my grandparents invested in. So I was mm-hmm. always, my cousin and I were like the landlord's grandkids. My mm-hmm. grandparents were very hands-on, like fixing the toilet and doing all that stuff. And for me, I was always like, I'm not gonna do real estate. You know, I'm gonna have an office job. I'm gonna have, you know, pretty nails. I'm not doing any of that landlord. It was um, something I really didn't wanna do. And like you said, fast forward now years later, I love real estate, but I've taken my real estate investing in a completely different, different way than how my parents and my grandparents did when I was growing up.
0: Mm, Yeah. Well, I can, I can imagine if you're growing up, you're living in the apartment complex, you're seeing all the hard work that they're putting into it. And you're thinking to yourself, Hey, maybe this isn't the path that I want to be on. Maybe I don't want to be involved in real estate because I think most people, uh, correct or incorrectly think that real estate means you got to be the one doing all the work. Um, so talk to me a little bit about when you grow up, you know, the parents of entrepreneurs, how do you think that impacted where you're at today? Because you went the traditional route, get a job, you know, go to school, get a job, work for a 401k and a gold watch. And then somewhere along that line, you broke off. You obviously started your own firm, you're investing. How did that early experience with your parents entrepreneurial Uh, vibes kind of play into the life that you're living today.
1: Yeah, it's funny because, you know, um, I think most of our listeners probably have read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, right? It was Mm -hmm. what dad was rich, one was poor. Um, I think in my life, I had the same, but I just had one, the same dad, right? The same parents. (laughs) It was like they were living that, you know, entrepreneur investor lifestyle, but they wanted me to kind of go the opposite direction. So, um, you know, really, I, I went the traditional route, got my accounting degree, got my CPA license, went to work for one of the big four international firms. Um, and I just happened to end up in the real estate specialty group. And, you know, so my job was really, you know, to help really wealthy people save on taxes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, um, you know, my husband and I read Robert's book when we were like, wow, it's interesting. And, um, you know, why not me? Why can't we also do that ourselves? And I think it's really hard for people to imagine like you're a CPA, you look at numbers, you see it all the time, but it was years of, of being practicing CPA um, until I realized what that all meant and then why that would be a possible lifestyle for me as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when you're working on these wealthy people's taxes, you're diving in, you're looking at all the different tax codes that are playing a role. What were some of the things or what are some of the things that people who are wealthy are using in the tax code that most of the working class or middle class just don't even know about?
1: Oh my gosh. It's so interesting because, um, you know, I think the really wealthy people, their CPA is part of their team, like their core Mm -hmm. team, right? You always have your attorney, you have your CPA, um, oftentimes like a lender, right? Helping you to to use leverage to to your advantage. Um, And I think just the whole concept of having those people on your team, um, most everyday investors or just people who even have high W-2 income don't think from that perspective. So when my husband and I started out on our own, there was a point when we said, you know, we we love real estate. We, we want real estate to be our own portfolio and wealth building tool, right? We don't want to just help other people save taxes on real estate. We also want to do it for ourselves. We started going to um, networking events, um, conferences to learn about how to invest in real estate, because I knew how to do taxes for real estate people. But at the time, I didn't know how to invest in real estate. And we quickly became aware that there was a huge need for everyday investors, um, because they just don't have the resources, they don't have the knowledge on how to use tax codes to our advantage to save on taxes. So some of the things when you hear people talk about you know the tax code, there are secrets for the wealthy people. These are really not secrets. It's readily available yeah. out there. And in fact, many investors use it, whether you're active or just in a syndication, right? Just like our ability to um, use leverage to build wealth and also create tax benefits through depreciation and all that good stuff, or being able to sell real estate and not pay taxes through a 1031 exchange. So, Um, Again, these are not really secrets of the wealthy. Um, It's just really important for everyday investors to understand um, how these work and apply it to us as, you know, at a lower dollar amount level, basically.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, our society, the traditional mindset, go to school, get a job, work for a 401k. They don't really teach you the tax code. They don't really teach you about money. They don't teach you how to go and maximize the dollars that you actually keep. And so what the wealthy know that the middle and working class don't is really how to leverage that treasure map, which is the tax code in order to be able to save A lot of money on their taxes and keep more of that money. And, you know, a big part of that is owning a business because as a W-2, you have much more limited number of options of of tax savings because government wants to incentivize business ownership. But when you are a W-2 employee, what are some of those things that you can do uh, that can actually lead you to starting to take advantage of Of the tax code, you mentioned 1031 exchange, you mentioned depreciation, both of those are real estate related. What else? And how does that play a role in creating actual tax savings? I think there's a lot of confusion about this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two different ways to look at it for, you know, well, I guess every investor is going to be a little bit different, right? You have different profiles in terms of how much money you make, what are the different, you know, where the money's coming from. So an investor who also has a business has a very different tax profile instead of strategies as an investor who just has a high W-2 job and doing real estate on the side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What you hear Oftentimes CPAs talk about, especially for high income earners who are passive investors, meaning they're not out there, you know, getting properties and rehabbing them. They're just passively investing, whether it's a turnkey deal or into a syndication deal. Um, A lot of times CPAs will say, well, you don't get any tax benefits, right? Because you're just passive. There's no benefit for you to invest in real estate. And that's really a, a very limited view in looking at financial planning and wealth building. Because really what that CPA is saying is, hey, you might have created these tax losses through depreciation and write-offs, but you're not using it to offset your W-2 income because you're still Mm -hmm. working full-time. Although that's a a true statement, I would make the argument that you are saving taxes because now you have made additional cash flow and appreciation on this real estate investment without paying taxes on that additional income, right? So mm-hmm. if I was making $500,000, um, but now I'm, I'm making $600,000, but my taxes haven't gone up, well, I certainly mm-hmm. have done better and gotten some tax benefits from it. So I think it's important to look at the, the picture holistically instead of just a tunnel vision, like, okay, W-2 income not being reduced, therefore no tax benefit.
0: Yeah. So what you're really saying is if you're hearing that from your tax professional, it's probably a good idea to start looking at building that team out with people who understand some of these types of strategies that you're talking about. It's not that they're wrong. It's just that maybe that's not their specialty. They might not deal with people every day who specifically are experts in understanding how to use some of these advanced planning strategies. Um, So when somebody's looking to build their team and they're looking for a great CPA, I've got a lot of great questions that I usually ask. I'd love to hear what do you think are some of the things that people should bring up when they're talking to a CPA to understand if they are a good fit for helping them, you know, navigate this, this uh, treasure map of the, 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 the the IRS has laid out for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, You always want to have a CPA who is well-versed in your industry. So whatever your industry may be, you know, for today, we're talking about real estate investors, right? And so to find a CPA that works with real estate investors, you just want to make sure you ask the right questions. The common question people ask is, do you work with real estate investors? Mm-hmm. 10 times out of 10, a CPA is gonna say, yes, I work with real estate investors. Why? Because maybe I have one person who's renting out their home and therefore I'm a CPA for a real estate investor. So that's not a very powerful question. Um, I think a really good question to ask a CPA is, you know, what are your successful investor clients doing in real estate right now? And what are some strategies that you're working with them on? Um, I think that's a really powerful question for two reasons. One, it allows them to showcase what strategies that they actually use, right? Just let them talk. What kind of stuff are you doing? Um, But second, because you phrased it in, you know, what are your successful clients doing? It allows you to kind of gauge what they determine is a successful client. So if their successful client is Mary Jane, who owns two duplexes, then maybe their level of complexity is here, but if their successful client is someone who's syndicating multi-million dollar deals, now you know their sophistication is probably much higher,
0: right? Yeah that that's a really that's a really good way way to look at it because you know they of course want to win your business, but it's all based on a perspective. You know, they're telling the truth when they say they're working with real estate investors, if they're working with somebody who owns two duplexes. But the person that you really want to be working with is the person who is managing the the, the tax planning and, and wealth generation for somebody who owns 100 passive investments, if you're the person who's got five or 10 and you're working your way up. You want to be working with somebody who has that experience and understanding at a much higher level so that they can be able to pass down some of those strategies that people who are saving millions or tens of millions of dollars on their taxes can pass down to you, or you can save 50, 100, or you know, maybe even millions yourself.
1: And sometimes sometimes I talk to clients um, and, you know, we do a strategy call and afterwards they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like my favorite part of the call wasn't even just about the taxes. It was about just learning what some of your other clients are doing. Right. And so that's what when we talk about your team on the tax side, on the legal side, um, if they're experts in your business, that's, you know, your ability to leverage their knowledge and insight to see beyond just kind of, you know, this small area of taxes. Right. And seeing, OK, how are other people, how are their other clients building their business, building their portfolio? Um, but I think that's something that uh, the wealthy people really know how to do. You know, as real estate investors, we always talk about the concept of leverage. Typically, we're talking about leveraging money um, from the bank, investors, but really, so important to also leverage the expertise um, of your team members as well.
0: Yeah. And when you've got a really great CPA or really great consulting firm who's helping you do that planning, it really puts you in a different position. I mean, through Time. I mean, there's so many of these rules, but understanding the Augusta rule, understanding the ability to use home office, understanding the ability to do tax loss, loss harvesting, understanding the difference between tax credits um, and other types of tax savings, it puts you in a position where that you can start making these decisions because you know most people don't know that when you invest into drilling for oil and gas, for example, that you can write off your W-2 income across those tax credits that actually come back if you're investing in the right type of deal. And so by having really a great team around you, somebody like Amanda and other great CPAs who are really experienced in this space, you can start being able to have an eye open to the type of investments or the types of business activity or the types of actions that you can do as a uh, a money making money earning person so that you can actually keep more of that money. Because again, it's not about not paying taxes. Yes, that's the end result that happens, but the government wants to incentivize a certain type of behavior. They want people to be able to pull natural resources out of the ground so our economy can grow. They want people to be investing and owning residential real estate so we have a place for people to live. They want people to be owning businesses so they can be employing and driving the economy forward. And so when we follow those incentives, it puts us in a position where not only can we earn more money and save more money on taxes, but we can actually start really contributing towards the greater economy and the society that we're building.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you brought up a great point about the whole concept of incentives, right? Because, Um, You know, things like you mentioned, oil drilling is a a big one. Um, The whole renewable energy, right? We're seeing a lot of, Mm. you know, solar credits. Um, A lot of those have an interplay with real estate, right? So if you own rental real estate, you're putting solar on your rental properties, Um, you get depreciation as well as tax credit. Um, But it's really about being able to plan ahead. Um, so that you're doing the right things during the year. I think the biggest issue we see sometimes with investors uh, or just taxpayers in general is that they're thinking about taxes after the fact. So after I have uh, already sold my property or after I have already uh, made a bunch of money in stocks and then you say, well, how am I going to save taxes for last year? Oftentimes that's too little, too late. So just being aware um, and speaking with your team before you implement a transaction Uh, those are times when you have you know maybe three four different ways to optimize that uh, transaction so you could pay little to no tax after a transaction is closed oftentimes there's very few things that you can do to still reduce your taxes
0: yeah it's it's such a really really good point and this is so important to understand how taxes play a role in your path towards creating and reaching financial freedom. And so, Amanda, I'd love to talk a little bit about your path. I know you yourself, you worked in a career, you then started a business, you've invested into a number of different things. Talk to me about where you're at along that path towards reaching your version of financial freedom and really living that dream life vision.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you know, we were chatting just before the show about, you know, where I feel like I am on the financial freedom path. And for me, um, I think the moment that I, I, I really felt like I've reached it was I was talking to a friend of mine, actually a girlfriend that I've known since elementary school. And she said, you know um, she works in private equity and she said, yeah, I think I'm gonna, uh, here's my plan to kind of stop working in, in two years. And um and then should say, you know, well, why don't, you know, why don't you stop working? Why, you know, you, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you probably could based on everything I know you're doing. Uh, and I thought to myself, yeah, why don't I stop working? And I realized, well, you know, I could work financially speaking. Uh, I could stop working, but you know, doing what I do and helping people with planning is really my passion. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, for me, that mindset is what I realized, okay, this is when I've reached my financial freedom is knowing that I have the ability to stop working, but you're just, you know, you're choosing what you want to do with your day to day life, right? Um, and I think it was a, a really great feeling because I, you know, I haven't asked myself that question previous to that. <laughs> it's like, why, mm-hmm. why, when and why am I still working? So I think it's really important for a lot of our clients too. You know, we have clients who are, um, uh, you know, physicians or surgeons that. You know, we talk about passive income, investing in real estate. Yes, they love real estate, they love the passive income. But when it comes down to it, and I have, you know, for me, I have to ask the question, right? Will you stop working? Because we need to be a real estate professional and get all these great things. Um, and then when they really think about it, a lot of times they say, I am living my passion right now, yeah. being a surgeon. I love saving lives. Doesn't mean I don't love real estate. I love real estate, I love the cash flow and the tax benefit. But, you know, for those people, right, I think the same thing, they've reached financial freedom. It's just, they're choosing to, you know, continue doing what they're passionate about.
0: Yeah, this is one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, that you're pointing out about financial freedom is this thought that, oh, well, you're only financially free when you you stop working. But mm-hmm. what it really comes down to is when you sit down and you map out what your dream life looks like, what it looks like today, what it looks like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, the timeline doesn't matter. But what's more important is understanding what is that progression of the life that you want to live, whether it is. You know, you're retiring so you can spend more time with your kids and your family, whether you want to be coaching games, whether you want to be traveling, whether you want to be building a mission based business like I'm building. And it sounds like you're very passionate about what you're doing as well. And when you find something that you love and you're passionate about and you get so much fulfillment out of it, other than just the money piece of it, it's interesting. It's kind of funny. The money just continues to come and flow. But when you actually attach that to naming your number and understanding what you need to earn, both actively to get there, but most importantly passively to be able to continue to stay in that place of truly being free, that's what I really believe financial freedom is all about. And I learned it the hard way. You know, I was grinding in my business. You know, flipped 200 houses in two and a half years, and had a realization when you know I lost somebody really close to me in my life that life's short and that. I actually had a very large net worth on paper, but I wasn't liquid and I wasn't earning passive income, even though I knew about it, I believe in it. And so that's really how name your number was born was I just recognized for myself that I needed to be clear on having one target, that passive income number that I was working towards and everything else around it kind of fuels that piece. Um, So what I'm curious about for you is what are some of those tools that you've used To become financially free. I know you're a business owner. How have you taken that money that you've earned to then go and make investments into assets that keep paying you, you know, from now until the end of time?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Until the end of time, I like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think for my husband and I, we we really use some of the same strategies that we work with clients on. Um, So, you know, I mean, obviously our our passion is on the, our tax firm, right? Working with investors nationwide on, on how to save taxes. And then, but the income we make, you know, as quickly as we can to diligently, of course, to place that into Income-Performing Assets. Our vehicle of choice happens to be real estate, of course, right? That's why our firm works with real estate investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's whether business income from our business, um, we maximize our retirement accounts and the money in our retirement accounts. We also use that for real estate, like a lot of our clients do through self-directed investing. So. Um, You know, similar concepts that we talk to clients about. And what I see a lot, and I, you know, I've experienced this myself too, similar to what you're saying is oftentimes we'll have a a client come to us and say, Hey, you know, I, I really want to, I want to stop working. I want to do real estate full time. And it's really great, it's kind of magical, right? You still have one spouse who's a high income earner. the other person kind of stops working. Mm -hmm. They start to build their portfolio of properties, right? Just small single family duplexes here and there. We get all this great tax benefits, And so a couple of years go by and now they have a larger portfolio, right? Because I have to, you know, um, convince them to keep buying and building. So we get the tax benefits, of course, building wealth. At some point, inevitably, that person starts to feel like now they have a job. They have a job of operating their own rental portfolio. And this is where I really see passive investments like, you know, the syndications, the fund that what you're doing is really life-changing for people because um, then they get to a place where, okay, now I'm comfortable with my real estate. I can get all the tax benefits, but I don't want to continue to buy 10, 12 properties every year. I can supplement all of that still passively, truly passively now through syndications. Um, And that's kind of a similar concept that my husband and I have done too. You know, we, we have our own portfolios. Uh, We do as, as, as little as we can, Um, but we also supplement that because, you know, we also, you know, like you, we have kids, we have our business, we don't have unlimited time to manage our own properties. Um, So we supplement that through passive investing, um, you know, leveraging other people's time and expertise to really help build our wealth as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people end up, realizing that passive investing can be a really strong opportunity, a really strong path because you're not the one doing all the work, you're not the one going and fixing the toilet, as you said your grandparents were doing. Um, what do you think the trade-off is? What do you think people what do you think people get by passive investing that they don't get through more active routes? and what do you think they give up in the process and, and that decision of deciding what's right for people at different points in their life?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really different person to person. Obviously what you give up when you do passive investing is the control, right? so usually with your, you know, a limited partner in a syndication, you don't really have a say in the day-to-day operation. Am I firing this management company? Am I going to sell this property? Am I going to do a 1031 exchange? So you give up those kinds of decision-making, um, which could also be a blessing, you know, for someone who's maybe a newer investor or just not as experienced. So for example, um, you know, I've invested, in apartments in Texas, I don't know anything about the market there, uh, and I, I, you know, I can't make decisions on whether the management company is doing well or not. Uh, but I also don't want to because right? <laughs> that's not the best use of my time, and I'm not the best person to make that decision. So. Um, you know, I think the benefit of that is is that it takes a lot of burden off of you of of trying to do the day to day things, and also um, being able to leverage not just the knowledge of the syndicators, but also um, their net worth and their network too. Right? It's it's the power of the collective. So collectively, we've raised this amount of money, and now we're able to buy that property that Amanda Hunt on her own <laughs> likely wasn't <laughs> able to get.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Cause right. I started off in the single family world as well. And, and there's a lot of benefit that you get when you're doing single family deals. I feel like I got an opportunity to learn a lot about real estate. Cause I was doing a lot of it myself, although I was hiring great construction people, but what I also learned was that it is a full-time job. I mean, I was spending so many hours working on these projects And interestingly enough, when I actually look at what an investor earns and what I earn when I invest into syndications and funds, oftentimes, if I'm investing with the right team, if I'm investing with the people who have insider knowledge and have the ability to find insider deals, and I can negotiate really good terms into those opportunities. I end up making more money doing that than if I was going to go try to buy a single family home in Denver and try to do some kind of, you know, burr or flip or something else on it. And when I look at the amount of time that I'm putting in, it's so much less. Now, of course Mm -hmm. I run a private equity firm and we do this and we have a great team that does this every day. But when I compare apples to apples, it's really not even comparable. You know, sometimes if you have no money, you don't have a lot of money, that can be a good reason to go more of the active route and start you know, partnering with somebody and doing a couple of small deals on your own. But if you're somebody who has any kind of means and you can save some money and invest, as long as you're investing with the right people, it's not about the deal. It's always about the people. I know you agree. That's where really a, a lot of wealth generation and success comes from.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just the scalability of it all, right? Like you said, for someone like me, um, you know, there's limited number of, of of my own rentals that I can handle at any given point in time um, based on limitations of just hours in the day. Um, but other, you know, other things like syndications or other, you know, passive means of generating income, um, you can scale, right? Because it doesn't take any more of my time to do that. But I think you're right it, um, you know, whether that's a right plan for for a specific investor really also depends on how much income they have to start with, and so for the newer investors, um, it's about you know generating that capital and then being able to deploy that in you know whatever type of asset class you decide makes the most sense.
0: Yeah, if we pivot back to the tax conversation for a couple more questions before we wrap up, what I'm curious to hear from you is what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see investors. Coming in with when they start working with you? And how can they avoid some of those?
1: <laughs> I think the biggest mistake I see people make is thinking that the person who filed their tax return last year is the same person who is doing planning for them for the upcoming mm. year. Um, I wish that were the case. I wish that was fact, but the reality is it just kind of doesn't work that way. Um, so I think it's really important for everyone to take a step back and really ask themselves, you know, do I have a plan in place on how I'm going to minimize taxes? Um, and if you can answer that question, then great. That means you, you're probably ahead of most investors that I meet. But if you if you can't answer that question, like what is my plan, um, then really take the time to meet with your tax person, and you know see if you can put a plan together. Right, it doesn't have to be an eight hour conversation. It could be you know a thirty minute call or one hour call, and just talk to them about hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing this year with respect to my job or my real estate or my business. What are some things that you think will be helpful for me to save tax, and then just kind of let them take over that that conversation Um, because one of those, you know, you never get it until you ask. And I think mm. we need to get into the habit of asking for it, asking for the plan, asking for the strategy. And if your tax person is someone who, doesn't offer that or is not specialized in real estate, then you can always seek out another firm to help you with the planning. We have a lot of clients that you know they love their tax preparer. Um, their tax preparer is maybe their father-in-law that they can't fire, but that, that maybe father-in-law doesn't do real estate. And so, so it's always okay to seek out you know, specialist advice on that. Um, I think the other common mistake that we see all the time um, is with respect to legal entities. And this whole concept of I need to have an LLC to take tax deductions. So um, I always talk about this on my social media. I mean, wherever anyone who will listen, I always tell them you don't have to have an LLC to take tax write-offs for you know like a mentorship program where you bought a book about how to save taxes. You can do that when you are a real estate investor. So that just means being a landlord, being a flipper. Whether you have an LLC or not really doesn't impact your ability to take tax deductions.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. And if anybody is looking for a great planner, absolutely reach out to Amanda Hahn, shoot me a DM at Steven.Pescevento on Instagram. I've got some great people that we work with and we're happy to pass it along as well. So Amanda, uh, tell us where can people find out more about you and what's the best way to get in touch?
1: Um, the best place to find us is on actually our firm website. It's keystonecpa.com. We have a lot of great free resources, one of which is a tax opportunity finder. Um, people are always asking me like, hey, how do I know if I'm overpaying in taxes? So we created a self-assessment tool where you can answer some questions and you get a score at the end in terms of what your you know, risk profile is. And the great thing about that is as a result, you get to see what your opportunity areas are. You know, you're like, hey, I did really bad on the retirement investing side. You know, my retirement money is has gone to crap. So maybe that's something I can talk with my advisor on. Or I'm doing really bad on legal entity. Don't know what the heck I'm doing. Something I want to talk to my CPA about. Right. Um, so that's the best place to find me. And um, if you're looking for daily tax tips, uh, I can most likely be found on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Amanda Han CPA.
0: Amazing. Amazing. This is so much fun. Closing out on this final question. What's your advice for those who are listening, who are on that path towards creating their dream life vision to really live free financially? What advice would you leave them with when it comes to taxes, investing and just creating the life they want?
1: Um, I think just being proactive in what you do, um, you know, making sure you have a plan. So you have an investing plan, right? Here's what I want to do. Active, passive, multifamily, you know, duplex. Um, And then that plan will then be the roadmap to what your tax savings plan is going to be. So if you're someone who's going to flip 200 properties, <laughs> like Stephen, uh, the strategies will be very different than someone whose plan is, hey, I just want to do passive real estate for as long as I can. So having that investment plan first and then working out the you know, corresponding tax plan associated with that.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. Such great advice. Definitely follow Amanda Hahn on Instagram and reach out if she can help. Appreciate you guys listening. Thanks so much for being on, Amanda, and we'll see you all next episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com invest. Join me on that next deal. and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend.